Verulam Sports. Hello again and welcome to Verulam Sports Podcasting. Uh, this is Tony Rice, slightly down in the mouth, Tony Rice, this week after a, a, a lacklustre England performance. Nothing new there. What is quite rare is a Scotland victory at Twickenham. Have to go back to 83 for that one. And that's precisely what happened last weekend. But of course, there was a whole array of other thrilling Six Nations action. And there's going to be more of the same coming up this weekend to dissect the first round. To build up to round two, we're joined yet again by the voice of the old Albanians, our friend, the legend that is, Mr. Brian Quinn. Brian, how are you? Good, thanks, Tony. Um, yep, still good, despite the weekend. Uh, I hope you're good as well. <laughs> well, look, we'll get to that. We certainly must. Um, and, <laughs> yes, sir. Lots to be said. Not much of it good. But um, we'd like to focus, first of all, on the what was the curtain raiser to it all. And, um, once again, Italy, Italy was shellacked. Um, losing at home, granted no crowds, by 50 points to 10. You got the sense that this was a French side that also had another gear for me, Brian. This is a brilliant French side. You and I have dissected that. Uh, I think this is a very thrilling, thrilling French side. I think they are so powerful. But this isn't doing Italian rugby any good, is it, Brian? We've spoken about a two-tier nation. I don't think there's anything further to be said. But goodness gracious me, it isn't good, I don't think, really, for Italian rugby or rugby generally to get this consistent level of disparity because they're not even getting close to bonus points these days, are they? No, they're not. I, I don't understand what the perceived vested interest is in not at least looking very seriously at a two-tier system. That would help the, the if you like, junior nations dramatically. I think it would really add a fillet to their own separate unions and to the players involved in each of the clubs in the, in the lands. And it would give them something to aim for. Uh, at the moment, they haven't got that. Six Nations is the most auspicious competition of this nature in the world and it's just a wonderful thing to be a part of now if you are hoping to join that as of course georgia being the most obvious ones are then it surely drives your game in your own country forward alarmingly it should be driving things tremendously in Italy because they're in danger of losing all credibility, having not won a, a match, a single match in over five years. That's a ridiculous statistic. Even Cheltenham back in the days of the, the old club rugby 30, 40 years ago, whenever they won a, a match in the what was the premiership then, uh, people would cheer. People who didn't even know how to spell rugby would cheer because they knew Cheltenham hadn't won for God knows how long. Now, Italy are getting like that. This is a national side. You can't do that. I want to give credit to their opportunistic and very classy try, um, which was just a sheer work of Elan, individual brilliance as a a solace, a consolation. But, Brian, I think we could talk about this to the cows proverbially rock up home. But the thing that I find frustrating about this, and it's not like for like, I get that, but just a few months ago, we eulogised, didn't we, about Argentina um, in the um, kind of Southern Hemisphere equivalent of the Six Nations, the championship. No rugby at all for 13 months. 
come in, shock the world by beating New Zealand, have proven very, very competitive. Um, and, you know, they've been into semi-finals of Rugby World Cup. There's always been a history and historicity. And that's why Argentina were given, after much um, clamouring, the opportunity to contest against these massive nations. And it's proven a success. Not, not, the, not to say that it's not without its issues still, but it's proven a success. I can't fathom how Italy have regressed given the opportunities. And again, their club sides have that European context too, when Argentina, by contrast, have seemed to really embrace the opportunity provided. Is there anything that you've seen or is there any uh, insight that you have as to the reasons why Italy at the moment simply are on the backward slide? It, uh, I would normally simplify it as much as I can. It's normally a leadership problem, normally a management problem. Uh, it doesn't seem to be organised in the correct way. It's not producing the, the style of play on the field that you want. Yes, I agree with you. There are occasional areas of brilliance, and that's great. And They, they have scored wonderful tries, not many of them, against all of the main nations in, in the world. It just doesn't happen often enough to make it a, a going concern. Their set piece is poor. Their communication seems to be even worse because there, there are people wandering around all over the place wondering, or apparently wondering, what am I doing here? Where should I be now? There are missed tackles uh, galore. It, it's just not up to the standard that the rest of the science are in, in the European um, arena as, as we know it now. Um, so... It, it's leadership. Now, that does not start with the national side. It starts with the clubs. And I don't know enough about the club system in Italy to, to find out exactly what should be or what could be done there. But again, I don't think a, an Italian club side has ever won any of the European championships or, or clubs. So that's indicative of the level we're at. It's, is it time to start all over again? It may well be. Perhaps back to the drawing board, um, but I tell you what, uh, drawing great uh, power and confidence at the moment are this French outfit. We've uh, again speak spoken about the fact that everything emanates both this wonderful backwards forth dynamic between cultural set from coaches right through to clubs and how they inter interact goodness me they've got a great pair we've talked about that Galtier and Edwards uh, I think combine so supremely well rugby as you know Brian may be the ultimate team sport on planet earth so I don't really want to pick out individuals but I do want to get your take on the moment about Dupont who many consider to be the premier number nine in the world. I got a try at the weekend, influential across the park. Everything you want from a scrum half, isn't he? Um, he's pugnacious, he's loud, he's got a great feed, he supports. Uh, right now, he's an absolute gem in the crown of what is a fantastic French outfit. Well, he is. Uh, is he the greatest player in the world? I don't know. There are so many different facets to a rugby player. Uh, he may be, he may be not. I know he's wonderful to watch, and I would certainly pay money to, to watch him do what he does. Uh, to take it back, to, to parallel that or, or to contrast that with Italy, just for a moment, if I may, we, we just mentioned leadership, uh, and it's normally a question of management. You have two managers there that you just mentioned, Galtier and Edwards. Neither of them will accept anything other than excellence. 
That, in my humble or not so humble opinion, has not been the case with, with Italy. Uh, we'll come on to the England situation later, but it's if the Italian side embraced that one tenet and said, we will only accept the very best, the excellence. Sergio Parisi was the greatest Italian player I have seen since starting. And they've had some good ones, nothing like him. He would fit into anybody's side. So it's maybe a matter of the management of the Italian sides or going back to the clubs saying, we will only accept excellence. We will only accept the best. And if you can't bring that to the table, don't leave home. Maybe that's it. I don't I know. I think that's the answer. Uh, I think that's a long-term one. And it may need them to take a step or two backwards in order to progress. We've had that conversation. I think we're on the same hymn sheet. Something must change because it's not good for Italian rugby and it's not good for rugby generally at this moment in time. Um, anyway, I went backwards there. We're talking about France. Uh, France, you're absolutely right. They had at least one further gear. They didn't need to use it. Intricately, looking at the individual elements of brilliance, the wonderful layoff pass when uh, Dupont, I think it was, who didn't know exactly who was behind him or where. So he made the pass available for the support that he knew would be there. He didn't know necessarily who it was. And just that little bob pass, um, if a pass travels six inches and it's absolutely perfect, then it's the best pass in the world. Brian, uh, we always love your uh, patented, world-famous, uh, at least St. Albans-famous, precision ometer. And uh, again, France were not necessarily at their peak. They didn't have to be. But just subtle moments, as you've illustrated there, reminders of just how precise they can be and how attuned to their game and the management of space that they are, which is so critical. But we have to move on, and we have to take it to Twickenham, England, Scotland. Uh, 1983, as you well know, was the last time Scotland won at Twickenham, and they did it at the weekend. What a result. Scoreline looks close, doesn't it, 6-11? If you were an alien just looking at the scoreline, you'd think, what a tight game of rugby. Got to be honest with all of us, it wasn't. And before we go to England, I think it's imperative that we don't lose sight of the fact that this was a rather good Scotland performance. They've been trending up. That's their fifth consecutive Six Nations win. Just give me an insight into your impressions of that Scotland effort in this historic victory, in the historic 150th instantiation of the the, uh, European tournament that is now known as the Six Nations. Well, I believe that if you were part of the Scottish management, part of the team, or part of the wider family there, I think at the moment you would be kicking yourself. The simple reason that Scotland had the opportunity, not that they knew it right at the start, but they had the opportunity to give England a complete pasting. Not beat them, but a complete pasting. That's how good Scotland were. That was the level of their domination. Uh, Scotland, again, had another gear, which they didn't reach. It was like they were almost afraid of their own powers. Uh, It was a very competent performance. It it was not thrilling. I think it gives Scotland the opportunity to be thrilling in the rest of this championship. And my God, I'm looking forward to seeing that because it's a long time since we've been able to dispassionately cheer for the Scots. Uh, I really am looking forward to doing that, and I think it's on the way. 
five consecutive wins for Gregor Townsend's men. And we've discussed the importance of leadership. He's inspired Scotland and credit to him because, again, it wasn't a complete performance, Brian. But in terms of energy, in terms of commitment to the cause, and again, that upward trend that he's been instrumental in instilling, the British Lion, the, a great mercurial player in his own right, has instilled steel and another crucial word, confidence into his men, hasn't he? Yep, nothing like it. It's, uh, it, was, it was great. It's good for European rugby. Um, well, we, we, you, you're taking the lead, so we'll let you, let you lead us into the England situation in, in a moment, I'm sure. Scotland can be very pleased with what they did, but there will be this, this thing which is a, something for driving forward about uh, disappointed that we didn't take full advantage of everything. They had nearly three quarters of the possession. And they'll look back on that, Brian, and they'll look at the tape. And again, coming back to your critical point moments ago about the importance of commitment to excellency, now with five straight wins, I'm sure that they will be absolutely having those conversations. But that's a great place to be, particularly when you are slaying these psychological demons, which, you know, are pushing 40-year uh, lack of victory at a certain venue can cause. One man who, of course, was free of all that is actually out of their next fixture through injury, out for three, uh, three weeks, was a man with great family pedigree uh, and another great scrum half in uh, Brian Redpath, young Redpath in the centres. Again, it's not a one-man game. It's not a complete performance. But on debut, to the man of born, that boy, I tell you, they've got a real talent there. Yes, they have. Uh, he enjoyed himself. He played with his head up. He was smiling most of the time, and he had plenty of reasons to smile. Enjoyed himself hugely, as if to the manner born, as you said. Uh, looking forward to watching what he does next. Uh, very few smiles on the faces of England, and very few smiles at all on the faces of England fans. Um, we've mentioned over recent weeks, and actually months for England performance levels have been a below par but they've been grinding out those wins remember of course short memory people it, it, they were defending six nations champions and you know it's still possible that they may well do just that let's let's not lose sight of the reality of the tournament but here's the question I'm going to ask you Brian do you think that this defeat will trigger the kind of questions internally that might have been being able to be brushed aside when you are winning despite playing uh, perhaps what most of us deem objectively poorly. Do you think England are now at the place where those conversations are not a luxury but becoming imperative? I don't know. I, th I think the entire back division is a mess. Uh, I don't believe Youngs has the... The fire he once had. Uh, there are a number of people who would should be breathing down his neck looking for the, the next thing. He is dependable. And that's as good as it gets. Uh, now, from the rest of it, the 10, 12, 13, that is a complete mishmash. Uh, it keeps changing from game to game. It's changed again for the, the Italy match. Uh, Farrell moves out to 12. And... Uh, yeah, I've forgotten his name. There's another senior moment for me. 
um, the, uh, the the new <laughs> replacement Lawrence. ten comes. Do you know what? I kind board. of feel a bit sorry for Lawrence because he does great things at Worcester. He's kind of been brought in in the mode of a Manu Tuolagi, which is a player that uh, Jones likes. But I think he only had one touch of the ball in the first sixty minutes. Yeah. That's not a way to judge a young man at an international level, is it? No, you can't do it. It's it's just not possible. It's it, unless you're given the opportunity to do something, then nobody can judge you on what you could or or can't do. It's we have tremendous firepower in the back three. We haven't even got that far out yet, uh, but they did literally nothing, any one of them or any combination of them. And the, the ball didn't get along the line. Clean possession was was not gained correctly, and when it was, the Scots were up in defence. It was as if they had Sean Edwards operating in uh, the, the midfield, saying, "Do this, and you'll screw England up." And that's, I'm afraid, what happened. The ball did not get past uh, Farrell in a meaningful fashion. And this kicking thing, please don't get me talking about that anymore. Uh, it, we, you we, and we, I have spoken we, we've been having these conversations, Brian. And they've been justifying it and they've been able to do so because, again, the results seems to justify the means. But this defeat, as I say, on scoreline, just losing by five points. But this was a thrashing. This was a real, real thrashing. Uh, And again, I want to, before we kind of continue on the paucity of England, do just once again want to pause and heap praise upon Scotland. Not a complete performance, but with fire, with commitment, and with a game plan to disrupt, uh, they were immense. And in the two-horse race, there was only one, there was only one th- uh, uh, horse in the race, really. Um, but coming back, Brian, again, to that word precision, another vital word, which is its kind of analogue, is discipline. And 10, I think maybe even rising to 13 penalties for England. Uh, it's, it's just, you're always going to be struggling. And I don't care at what level you're playing against what opposition. Now, discipline, again, for me, is a reflection on leadership and attitude. And again, it's something that we've mentioned in the past, but brushed under the table. This is... Unacceptable, Brian. Your take on the ill-discipline demonstrated by England at the weekend? Well, that's quite simple. You look at the statistics of the first five minutes. England were five for nothing. That's one penalty per minute. Per minute. Now, this would have alarm bells ringing all over every rugby operation in, in the country. You cannot operate any side if that's what you're going to give. Now, bearing in mind the communication that there is now between top-level referees and top-level sides, they talk, they meet, uh, there is feedback. The referee will say, we'd like to see this. Um, you know, the, the referee is now not part of a team of three. It's more like a team of six. You've got all sorts of people checking on the play. So England, it's not a big surprise that anybody put this across on England. It was their own doing. And they know what the laws are. They know what, if you need an interpretation, they, they would have known beforehand because Jones is a very specific man. He would have known beforehand what the referee wanted. And they simply went against it. It's as simple as that. Uh, that's not lack of precision. That's stupidity. Yeah. And for me, I have so much admiration for Maro Otoji. 
I think he could well be Alliance captain in the making. Brian, you've met the man. He's an immensely intelligent human being. He has, I think, an immensely high rugby IQ. But at the weekend, he's always been an aggressive player. I would never want to take that away from him. In fact, in terms of energy commitment, he was probably one of England's better. But I counted of those 14 maybe five, perhaps even six individual penalties, often for repeat offences that Otoji put on, on his performance at the weekend. Like I say, love the man, respect the man. But it was strange for, to me to witness this very, very smart rugby player doing these, what can only be described as boneheaded repeat offences. Brian, just can't quite fathom it anything you can add or explain for that in microcosm of the england and malaise on saturday no it, it, sometimes you have a, a brain melt it's not often that you have a communal brain melt and th that would seem that, that if i can explain it that way that's maybe what happened it, it, it seemed to me that there are players individuals uh, on the England unit who are almost bored with what they're doing. Now, I know that can't be the case because you put on a white shirt and everything else goes out of your mind. It's got to be that way. But to give the impression of being bored, to not be in a place where you're supposed to be, to miss a tackle, and England missed, I think, 26 tackles at the, at the weekend. That's, that's, that, that would give uh, Edwards apoplexy. Um, He's never pulled on a white shirt in his life. Uh, it, it's just an, a, an astonishing way of doing things. You have to, again, somebody, and Jones is at the helm, has to demand excellence, the very best, or on your bike. And For me, this comes back to long yet before another Jones point that. that we've been highlighting, not just once, not just twice, but frequently, Brian, even throughout England's consistent array of winning rugby albeit frankly can't think of a better word than winning ugly right and that is these guys are experienced players farrell has over a thousand points at international level has been around has come from a great rugby culture great rugby family you know youngs you've referenced over a hundred caps um, you know, these guys have been there they've done it they've won all over the world you use the word bored it's not a bad one. One thing that I'm coming back to, I always come back to, for instance, the 2003 World Cup winning team. A supremely aggressive team, but a team with so many generals on the pitch. Johnson held off the trophies, number one, as the captain. But my goodness, there are so many leaders. Brian, on Saturday, going back before that for months and months and months and months, I would argue, actually, since the New Zealand semi-final... Where are those generals right now for Eddie Jones's England? And if they're not there, why aren't they? Well, the spine of the team. Uh, Billy Vonipola might as well not have been on the side. Youngs we've talked about. Farrell did not have his best of days. And we didn't see Daly at all. That only leaves uh, the hooker. And that, you know, the, the hookers have been replaced this weekend. Uh, Cowan Dickey is coming in to, to see what he can do. He he certainly comes on. He's a, he's a great replacement. Um, it's 
Marco Vonipora is also coming back. Now, he is a true leader, and he will take up the slack when other people leave it. But it has to be seen on the field that uh, England used to have a cry when things went wrong. Standards, standards, lads, standards. Uh, I don't hear any of that being said now. I, I know I'm not privy to what's being said on the field necessarily. But standards, it should always be that. When England score, what is the, what is the score? Even if they're winning 45-0, what is the score, boys? The score is nil-nil. That's what the score is. Standards, we don't do that. We do things the proper way. And it has to be the players out there because it doesn't matter what Jones does when the, when the whistle goes. It's just the 15 players on the field that matter. And they, they need to have a, a big, long session. If it takes the whole week, it would be beneficial yes. to diarise about what must not happen again. And this discipline thing, they must take a pride in it. You know, we, we don't talk to the referee. We do not make these silly little niggling, needless uh, breakages of the law. And that way, our entire game time will be a much more pleasant experience. Things will happen better. Morale will go up and the results will come easier to England because they have the firepower. We know that. We've seen everybody perform perfectly. But they're not doing it at the moment and they need to address those points. They certainly didn't do that on Saturday. Again, credit to Scotland. The final game, Brian, on the Sunday, February the 7th. And um, i got to tell you, Mr. Quinn, um, we call you a legend. You're the voice of the OAs. Um, you are a scholar of the game of rugby. And I tell you something, sir. You had basically a perfect three from three at the weekend. You called it Wales. I went Ireland. And goodness me, it could have gone uh, either way. Uh, arguably the game of the weekend. What was your overarching uh, recollections of an important win for Wayne Pivak's Wales, just his fourth in the last 11? Uh, again, as we've said before, nobody needs a weak Wales, and, and hopefully this will be one step along the line to getting back on track to where they are. Uh, that uh, Mr. O'Mahony is now missing three games for his, shall we say, indiscretion. It's a long time since I've seen anything quite so blatant, uh, so violent, and indeed so pointless, because the player that he hit on the ground was not a threat to anybody at the time. And Brian, again, you made this very point when we were talking about England's lack of discipline. It's not like the players aren't briefed. It's not like we're not au fait with what is going to be a red card in this day and age. And, you know, that was uh, over the top, it was not even aggressive, I don't think, really. As you say, it wasn't influencing positively the play. And it made things so difficult um, because, obviously, you're down to 14 men for the best part of, what was it, I think 13 minutes when that occurred. Um, it, was headed, right? shot, it was a cheap shot, It was a cheap shot. And that's possibly the worst thing. He's a professional. Uh, he's a lion. He's a good one. And he's a wonderful back row forward. And uh, to even contemplate something like that, he had maybe five seconds of running in before he made contact with the player. Uh, and then Farrell today comes out with the, the crack. You know, these people don't do these things on purpose. That's exactly what he did. Exactly what he did. So let's, let's not make 
uh, any more of it, I suppose, uh, other than he's got his three-game ban uh, and he probably, I would say, almost certainly lost the match for his country. Uh, that, that, that's that. Uh, Ireland played well uh, without him, above themselves, as 14 players often do. Yeah. Uh, Wales were up for that. They could so easily have lost that match. Yep didn't there were two elements of brilliance from there uh, and you know, let's be uh, from back from, from three quarters uh reese Zammett, uh what acceleration what a finish and of course george north it's great to see him back in the frame again very pleased for him absolutely he's uh, north is out for this coming fixture we're going to preview but that was a wonderful finish by north uh, by north and he's uh, up to 43 international tries and uh, I think 46 will get him into the equal 10th all-time in the all-time top try scorers list. So it just gives a context of what a career George North is enjoying. And I think there's still a fair few chapters ahead. But right at the start of his rugby journey is that young man, 20 years of age, Reese Zamet, Gloucester star, but doing it up for Wales. What a finish, Brian. What a finish. Do you know what? It's reasons like that that are so critical for our game because it, they're the moments that people recall. They're the things that kids want to replicate. And then you get into it and you get to appreciate the nuances and the, uh, the subtleties of the great game. But that type of finishing, it's, it's God-given or some such, isn't it? You can't teach that kind of high-caliber finishing. No. No, you can't. Control of the body, control of the ball, and uh, taking the opportunity when it was offered. Uh, it was offered, he was under severe pressure, and he withstood all of that. Talking opportunities, though, Brian, and again, I don't want to be hypercritical here, but Ireland certainly, I think, can draw positives from a level of spirit in this game. Their heads never dropped, and um, they were in it right to the death. Um, but again, we're talking the Brian Quinn precisionometer. It must have flashed right into the red when Young Burns, with the last second kick to the corner job, give you a chance to get themselves a chance, young man. And he overcooked it like nobody's business, didn't he? Again, it's far too oversimplified to say it's just that one moment to, to rest the blame on Burns. I'm not doing that, Brian. But again, this is the difference at this elite level and filtered down to grassroots between winning and losing, isn't it? You seize your opportunities when you get that culture of winning. You let them slip when you're on the kind of other way at this particular time. Just briefly your thoughts on Ireland's competitive spirit and then missed opportunities. The competitive spirit was very, very good. Uh, when you lose a man, you, I know that they train for it these days. Sometimes uh, teams train if they've lost two men. And you have to do this because with the laws these days and the way that we so well know how things can go, a player can be injured in a, in a critical situation and you, you have to deal with it. So whoever is remaining on the field has to up the ante and, and deal accordingly. Uh, Ireland did that for an hour of the match. Uh, I, I was proud of them for, for what they did. Wales repulsed them. Uh, they were, what, 6-0 down when, or 6-0 down shortly after O'Mahony went off. Uh, very soon got back to 6-0, uh, sorry, 6 each. 
And then came the try, which was uh, perfectly ordinary, if you call it an international try, which it was. Um, but it was done at the right time, and it was against one extra man in, in the defense. And it, it was executed very, very well. Uh, Ireland didn't go crazy about it. They, they felt that, or seemed to feel, that they had done the right things at the right time, and they'd con continue doing that. Uh, it wasn't quite enough at the end, but they came very close. Uh, I think Faz will be uh, not dreadfully upset, but uh, he will rue some of the chances that Ireland uh, missed out on, because there were chances missed out on. Burns, you can only feel sorry for him, as you've said. Uh, he will get another chance, but those sort of kicks, they, they either make it. Uh, he tried too hard, is the classic case. They either make it or they don't. Uh, in this case, it didn't work, and Wales will be relieved for that. Uh, he will get another shot. As you say there, Brian, again, sometimes one has to take a step back and see the bigger picture. Good for European rugby, good for world rugby, that Wales get back on the uh, winning wagon and Pivak picks up his fourth victory as head coach, fourth in uh, the last, I think, 15. And they'll look to carry that on for the weekend. Brian Quinn, three from three in your predictions last time out. The Six Nations in its 150th anniversary year uh, carries on. Um, and this weekend, England will be doing soul-searching. And I think they're rather fortunate in their next fixture is back at Twickenham against Italy. And um, I can only see England getting back to winning ways here. For me, Brian, again, it's a little bit of a rugby cliche, a little bit of a sporting one indeed. I'm much more concerned, infinitely much more concerned, by the performance here, the cohesion and some kind of style of rugby beginning to develop rather than the actual scoreline. Um, for me, that is the major thing that I'm looking to see at the weekend. I can't envisage anything other than an England win. Or do you think Italy right now are watching that tape of England and saying, nobody's giving us a prayer. This is our game. What's your thoughts, Brian? <laughs> well, Italy have confounded England, albeit for a limited time a few years ago, when they did the non-engaging thing. Uh, England, uh, incidentally, didn't have a clue how to deal with that. They had to have a conference meeting in the middle, and then it was only at half time that uh, the skipper and the rest of the players were taught how to deal with it, uh, again by, by Eddie Jones. So, I don't believe Italy... It, they, they can take all of the lessons that they want from this match. They can't fix what's wrong with Italy in a week. It's just not possible. And they will not win at Twickenham at the weekend. With England's game, I'd ask them to do two things. Play with their heads up and take every opportunity that is available. Because if you play with your head up, you can see opportunities you couldn't otherwise. Every one of them... And every one of the reserves, or replacements, I should say, has the ability to play top-class international rugby. So that doesn't need to be taught. They have to know it by now. None of them is too old. None of them who take the field on that day will be injured. So there's no excuse there. They have to, I mentioned boredom, they have to be, it has to be ascertained that they are still having fun. Because it's a game, after all. It's nothing else. I know they earn money from it, and God bless them. Uh, I'm delighted that they do. But they have to enjoy it, because if they don't, your morale suffers, and so does your performance. 
they did not enjoy last week. I didn't see a smile on anybody's face other than a rueful one from, mm. from Maru Itoji. So they have to enjoy it. Uh, if they do that, they can make uh, take every opportunity against Italy and, and run up a lot of points and in the process win the match. I'm seeing nothing other than an England bonus point victory at, on Saturday, um, but I'm going to withhold further judgment on them until bigger challenges ahead. Uh, big, big game, though. Also Saturday, two unbeaten teams collide. Scotland bidding for their sixth consecutive um, Six Nations win up to Murrayfield. Again, such a shame there's going to be no ecstatic Scots in the crowd, but that's the bigger picture. Again, taking on Wales, as we say, who conquered Ireland last Sunday. Um, Issues, at least uh, injury-wise, in both midfields. Um, Wales without North, who would have made a century. Uh, he's also got two Lions caps that would have been his turn-up for Wales out for this weekend. Um, so lots of changes. Uh, I think overall, Scotland have all the momentum trending upwards. I think Wales will be seriously, fiercely competitive. Anybody with a chap called Alan Wynne-Jones in their team will be that. But I can't see anything other than a Scotland win here. Or can you, Brian, can you make a case for the Welsh? Or are you going to go Scotland in this one? Wales have a chance. They, they need to use their back three. Their back three could do it for them. Um, I'm not saying Scotland are vulnerable there. I'm saying Wales, I think, have it slightly there. Other than that, the Scottish back row is absolutely superior to anything Wales have at, at the moment. And they are vibrant, they're full of fight, they've just beaten the old enemy, and they will take every inch of that to Murrayfield with them. Uh, so if, if Wales spread it wide, quick enough and often enough, they have the clout to win uh, surprisingly at Murrayfield. I do not believe they will do that, and I take Scotland to win reasonably convincingly. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, I'm looking forward to this one though, but uh, Scotland certainly, as we said for many weeks now, tre certainly trending up with that uh, vital victory. First time since 1983 at Twickers last weekend. Gunning for a six straight Six Nations win. Uh, very much confident that Scotland will do just that on Saturday. Coming down to Sunday then, your island um, back to the Aviva Stadium taking on DuPont and all this Gallic flair allied with a William, um, Edwards-inspired fierce core two. It's a mega combination. France are looking immensely strong. Ireland looking to bounce back. I call it France. I think they are the team to beat at present. But I'm really looking forward to how Ireland perform here. And I certainly wouldn't rule your boys out. Celtic Storm on the way, Brian. What do you think? Yes, I think it is time for a Celtic Storm. England, uh, Ireland will be hurting. Uh, France will be full of confidence after a competent performance against Italy. However, it's being played in Dublin. We have to give ho home advantage to uh, the indigenous population. And I think Faz and his men, Faz has the dressing room. The, the people are delighted to play with him to be part of it uh, France do have that Edwards person still in charge of the defence and that is going to be a big problem for, for Ireland but Ireland are running offensive lines in the back division which other countries 
are not. Some of them are complicated, but some of them are very nicely straightforward with mismoves and loops and things like this. Things I, as a front row forward, do not understand. Uh, however, I don't need to because I'm not pulling on the green shirt. But Ireland have a very competent back division with a lot of clout in it. I, I take Ireland to win by a narrow margin. I'm looking forward to this one. I think France will win. Uh, I think they'll prove too strong, but I think Ireland will be fiercely competitive and should be a good game. Brian, it's always a good game to enjoy your company. Uh, classic work last time that I was in predictions to say three from three, Mr. Quinn. If you're listening, <laughs> uh, maybe do well to pay attention to Brian Quinn. He truly does know his onions. Uh, but for now, for tonight, thanks again for your company. Enjoy your Six Nations weekend. I look forward to, as always, catching up with you and uh, discussing and dissecting what happens on the turf this very weekend. Cheers again, Brian. Lovely, Tony. Talk to you next week. Have a good weekend.